Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Courtney Wade is the COO of Less Doing, a company that coaches successful entrepreneurs to make themselves more replaceable in their business so they can focus on the work they love. Courtney holds degrees from the United States Military Academy at West Point and the George Washington University. A former military intelligence officer and Iraq War veteran, she currently lives outside Fort Worth, Texas with her husband, four children, and a menagerie of farm animals. Hey, this is going to get interesting. Courtney also works with a good friend of mine, Ari Mizell, who is the CEO of Less Doing. Um, but Courtney, welcome to the Second Command Podcast. Yeah, thank you. Excited to be here. You went to West Point. I did. Holy I shit. Did. Is that like the reaction you get from everybody when they, when you, when they hear that's where you went to school? Yeah, I feel like especially as a woman, sometimes people just have this idea of what you would be like. Um, yeah, there's definitely some surprises for sure. But what was it like? Um, you know what? I loved it. Uh, I just love clear-cut expectations. I love left and right limits. Um, I loved the idea that every day we were doing something that seemed really important. Uh, and the... Um, you know, the war on terror kicked off 2001. So I was early in my sophomore year when all of that started. And it suddenly went from war being this thing that happened in history to being like, this is what we're going to do. And everything at West Point just seemed to shift. Every minute we were spending was, you know, how does this prepare you to lead troops into combat? Um, So it was just really exciting. It was really, you know, being on the cutting edge of something historical. Uh, yeah, I loved it. And, and how long were you in the military then? So I stayed in six years, um, got out in 2010, uh, quite begrudgingly, actually. I loved the military as well. Uh, but my husband's also a grad and we were dual army officers at the time. And the op tempo was, you know, year on year off deployments. And we had just had our second kid, our oldest two kids were 14 months apart. And it was a disaster. Mm. And it was, you know, I'm not doing a good job as a mom. I'm not doing a good job as a wife. I'm not doing a good job as an army officer. One of the things, things has to go. Uh, so I got out and did the stay-at-home mom thing. And then my husband stayed in. Um, and I had quite a good career. And, you know, I did the army wife uh, lifestyle for a while. Um, really until meeting Ari and getting into working with him. And has he stayed in the military then? Yeah, so he stayed on active duty just up until a couple years ago. He's in the National Guard right now. Um, he's the lieutenant colonel. He's about to take a battalion command, which is a very big deal. Sometimes surprising because I remember being a lieutenant and lieutenant colonel seemed very old and right. wise. It's like, oh I'm, not, oh, I'm not old enough to be married to one of them. Goodness, you know. So <laughs> It's funny. I was just speaking with somebody this morning and they were saying that when they graduated from college, they thought they were all wise and all knowing and they look back now and go, wow, I knew nothing. Like I just right, right. Nothing. I was such a kid. So yeah. how, how did you end up meeting Ari then? So actually, um, on a we have a Facebook group for West Point women graduates, and somebody had posted that she had her business had done some work with Leverage, which Ari was a part of at the time. Um, great experience. She thought Leverage was just the best company, and she had heard that they were hiring and thought that was, you know, a, a good opportunity to share in this group. So a lot of the West Point women grad, a lot of us married grads. 
uh, end up in the same boat that I end up in where the dual military lifestyle just doesn't seem like it's going to work out and, you know, really struggle to find employment that, you know, a lot of us get out to focus on our kids. Like that's going to be our number one priority. We don't want to work big, big nine to fives. Um, But we don't want to, we're highly educated and we're highly motivated. It's hard to find a job that's challenging and you feel like uses your skills, but also doesn't demand, you know, an army level of commitment. So she had posted that and thought, you know, somebody might be interested in this, very flexible, work from anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so I begrudgingly said, okay, fine. I'll I'll be a virtual assistant. Me and my master's degree will, will go be virtual assistants. Um, which I didn't really have a sense of what that meant at the time. And I actually ended up enjoying my work with leverage quite a bit. And it was really very, it wasn't scheduling doctor's appointments and, you know, get a task rabbit to come pick up my dry cleaning, which is like my day-to-day life anyway. Right. Like where, you know, sign my kids up for camp. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of very high level business tasks and, and things that I really enjoyed. Um, and so it was really neat to get close to Ari and, and what we do with less doing and what I've seen since then is, I just, I never thought it was possible that you could work a meaningful, challenging, rewarding job and have that flexibility to focus on your family and interests and have that time. Um, And I do really credit Ari with opening my eyes to the fact that that could be a reality. Like you Mm -hmm. can have a job that's fulfilling and have a life that works and those things don't have to you know, compete with each other all the time. I'm going to go there in a second too. You give me a bunch of things yeah, to yeah. get in on here before yeah. I, I kind of ask some questions about what you've just been covering. Can you, I, I'm, I've known Ari for probably five years, so I understand what less doing does. Can you just for our listener okay. though, just tell them what less doing is and, and give us an idea of what your company does. Yeah, absolutely. So we run a coaching program. We have an online course and a workshop as well, but our primary um, focus is coaching. We coach successful entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurs that have businesses that are tried and tested, you know, they know it works, but what's happened is the, the snowball effect of success where, you know, they started these businesses because they have this world changing idea. Um, and as they begin to turn that, uh, you know, into a business, the minutia of it starts taking up all their time. The day-to-day running of the business detracts them from focusing on what they do best and the things that got them into business in the first place. So we coach them to create systems in their business, um, primarily around their communication, their project management, and their process that either automates a lot of that day-to-day stuff or create systems where their teams or other outsource providers can handle that. So they can get back to doing what they do best, focusing on the work they love and less on the work that they don't. So you really are about optimizing and automating their processes and helping them kind of remove themselves from the day to day more, more than just general business coaching. It seems like you really are focused in around the optimization and automation of, of process, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, very much around systematizing. Who would your typical customers be? How would you describe what your customers might look like? Um, it's interesting question because unlike a lot of programs, we are not industry specific. Um, you know, we don't focus on the best marketing techniques or lead generation and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, our ideal customer is again, a successful entrepreneur that, you know, has the business they know works. Um, somebody that, you know, has the vision, has a company that not serial entrepreneurs that just want to jump around to new things, but somebody that has a company that 
they know really is going to change the world. Um, is the it, mission they believe in really strongly. Is there an employee size that works best for you? Is it like a 50 employee company or 500 or 20? Like, was there a zone that works well? Um, there is not small enough, small enough that they can change. Most of our best ones are probably teams between, or the most successful rather, I should say, people that, that get the most impact out of our business are probably teams between um, 10 and 20 you know, big enough that they have a team, that they have the resources, they have people they can, you know, the CEO has people um, that can do the work for them, but not so big that changing the way they do business is too hard. Um, and they probably don't, yes, they probably don't yet have a mature leadership team, do they? Or would they be starting to build one out? Um, they are starting to get there. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is companies that are still trying to figure out those roles, um, you know, who's responsible for what. And has there been much of a shift in the organization? Um, as you mentioned, when you joined years ago, it was um, called Get Leverage. Is it, it less doing? What's the shift been in the, the organization and how you are focusing with your clients now? What's the pivot been? Well, less doing, totally separate um, mm-hmm. from leverage, obviously. Uh, it's interesting. You know Ari, so this will not be a surprise to you, but for people that don't know Ari, um, when we started less doing about two and a half years ago, we're about two and a half years in right now, um, we had a much larger team and we did a lot of things. We had a, you know, high level mastermind. We had a smaller group coaching program. We had this online course that we came up with. We had a smaller uh, monthly membership program. We did consulting work, really ran the gamut of all the ways we could help entrepreneurs. Um, and we have really narrowed that down now, uh, which has been fun. So, you know, consulting, I think, was a unique one because it brought in a lot of money, like very high-ticket consulting, you know, really able to help businesses. But um, one day we had, a you know, an honest team meeting where Ari and the people on our team that were responsible for consulting were like, we just don't like this kind of work. Like, this just isn't enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, of course, wanted to wring my hands and agonize over it and look at the numbers. And, well, if we cut it and then the revenue and, you know, Ari in his fashion, he's like, it's no fun. We're not doing it anymore i'm gonna call all the clients and tell them we're not doing it anymore but uh, but and you know that's kind of how it's gone interesting um but, keep going go ahead uh, oh no so we've really narrowed down um you know we've narrowed down the focus primarily to coaching uh and then really narrowing that focus to communication project management and process as the three primary areas where we see almost every single business struggle um, when it comes to systematization. You mentioned it at one point, like letting the entrepreneur get back to what they love. And you mentioned a lot about work-life balance and Ari, the CEO got quite sick a number of years ago. Was it with Lyme disease? No, uh, Crohn's disease. Crohn's disease. And yeah, mm-hmm. that really, I think was a big shift for him in his life where he decided to just not work these insane hours and really tried to optimize life so that he could have a business running itself so that he didn't have to be there doing it. Is that still kind of a core driving force for him? And is that part of the core driving force for the organization? Not to help people that are sick, but almost to help them as if they were. Yeah, it is absolutely. Um, Which is really the thing that I love about working there. Um, You know, we operate under the assumption that there are things in your life that are more important than work that matter more than your business. Uh, And, you know, the clients that we attract are like that as well. Uh, the other, actually the other day I was on a call with a guy and my kids were being noisy in the background. There's four of them. And I was like, Oh gosh, sorry that they're making noise. And he instantaneously is like, don't apologize. I'm like, Oh yeah. Right. You know, and it was, it was a, 
a great moment for me to recognize, like I'm in a company where that's not a deal breaker. I mean, obviously there's a level of professionalism, you know, goes without saying, but you know, it's not a deal breaker that there's mm-hmm. kids in the background. Yeah. Um, you know, Ari runs coaching calls from his car and we've heard clients at first be like, Oh, that makes me uncomfortable. But then as it goes on, they're like, no, I love that. I love that. I feel like I have the freedom to jump on this call from wherever I am. Um, you know, that I can bring my authentic self to this coaching program and not worry about, you know, the way I look and the way I present myself and, oh, you know, you can't know I have kids in the background. And, um, yeah, that's very much, yeah, very much what it's about for us. How are you juggling the role of a COO and, and you know, being the head of a family with four kids? How do you, do, how do you manage your time? Um, <laughs> some days better than others. Um, I do a lot of, like, I get up early and I work then. Uh, I work a little bit after the kids go to bed. Uh, when there was school, that was helpful because I did sure. have a couple days uh, a week where all my kids were in school. Um, but one of the great things about less doing in the way that we're set up and what we coach other businesses to set up as well is we do so many things asynchronously. So there's never been in our business this expectation that you would be available you know, sitting at your desk from nine to five. Um, we do nothing over the phone. In fact, if Ari ever calls me on the phone, I pick it up immediately and go, you know, oh my goodness, what's wrong? Yeah. And he's like, oh, you know, nothing. I was just driving. Um, what do you use so for communication internally then? So we do a lot over Voxer. Um, that's probably our primary tool. And it's a, um, mm-hmm. like a walkie talkie, a secret communication app. Um, we also have Slack. We do a little bit over Slack. And then we use Trello for our project management. So anything project, any project related discussions will go over Trello. Okay. Um, we have a synchronous meeting a week that we do over Zoom. So the pretty, pretty standard. Yeah. Have you, have you heard of an app called Marco Polo? Yes. I it's, just, a friend just turned me on to it actually. kind of like Voxer, but video. Yeah. It, Which I don't love the video. I don't <laughs> often feel like I, I went through and I accepted friend requests on it. And I was like, oh no, like I don't want this person to see my real, true, crazy. No, I don't. Uh, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't want to be doing it with the whole world. But I think there's something there about doing it with your teams that works out quite well. Um, that's yeah, actually yeah. interesting to be able to use it. it. It's it's an interesting tool. So talk about yeah. the, the lessons that you pulled out of West Point that you still work with today. The lessons that you've learned kind of in the military that you still use in the business world. Sure. Um, that's been interesting because I, I feel like having gone to West Point and worked with army officers, there was a lot of, a lot of skills that I never considered that unique until working with the rest of the world, just because all of our, all my classmates, all the people I was close with all kind of had the same skill set. Um, so very first summer at West Point, right? You start and they teach you, you have four responses. So an upper class then asks you a question. There's only four responses you can give and it's yes, sir, no, sir sir, I do not understand and no excuse, sir. And like, that's it. Those are the only things you can say, right. Um, Which is a very valuable lesson. And I I find in business, especially, um, you know, there'll be a project like, Hey, here's the result that we're after. And, you know, all right. Yes, sir. I was just laughing about kids. Like, can we take that down to our kid level? Right. I know. Right. We tried. It didn't work so well. Um, so you wait, bring what that, can I say? You bring that into the into the business world then? That kind of a Yeah. I mean a um you know, this is the deadline and we meet the deadline no matter what. You know, this is the project, it gets done no matter what. Um, you know, which isn't to say there's not things that come up um 
but I've run into a lot of, you know, we hire contractors to do things and then they disappear off the face of the earth or, oh, this is going to be late and, you know, it's okay because, which is not to sound draconian, like there's not excuses why things go off the rails. Um, sure. But I find that, you know, West Point taught me and the army to, those become the exception way more than they become the rule. Um, Oh, but I'm tired and I want to go to sleep. I don't want to finish the project. Well, hey, no excuse. It's time to finish the project. Um, you know, and an ability to just kind of look at a problem and assess it and come up with a solution and then move in that direction uh, is certainly a valuable skill set that has has helped me in business. And do you do you how do you balance that out with this more laissez faire kind of um, you know work life balance approach that Ari brings to the table? How do you how do you balance that or rationalize those two? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. Um, but, and that, I, that, may be an, that, that may be an assumption of mine too. Is it an assumption that he, like maybe he's not that way in business. Maybe that's just the way he, he seems when I talk to him face to face. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely had to learn to, um, I've had to learn with to deal with people and their feelings a little bit more often. Um, and some of that, yeah, a little bit more relaxed. Um, I've had to loosen the reins a bit and I don't want to say drop my standards, but recognize that, you know, things can slow down some, um, but Ari is not as much like that in business. Actually, mm. you know, when it comes to the business, it's funny. Cause I will, I'll send him a, a seven minute boxer about a decision that I'm agonizing over and he'll respond in like three seconds and be like, do the second one. <laughs> and I'll be like, wait, but, but, but you didn't consider and he'd be like it's what you wanted right like you right. wanted me to choose between these three things and he will like okay i've really had to learn that you know he doesn't need to give me his whole thought process behind it like i asked him for an answer and here you go it's the second one like drive on have you done yeah. any personality profiles with your leadership team we have so colby is the big one for us yeah so what's what's um, your colby and what's our and i rolled my eyes at it at first um but i have found it immensely illuminating yeah, what's what's Ari's Colby profile and what's yours? So I I can never remember the exact numbers, but he is I know it's Quick Start and it's Fact Finder, and okay. he is as high Quick Start as one can get, yep. and as low Fact Finder as one can get, and I am the complete opposite. So he's like, like a, he's probably the, like a four three four three nine three or four three ten three or something, and you're like a an eight something. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm like a nine on that uh, hmm. Fact Finder part. And I am a like a one on that quick start part. Interesting. Um, yeah, Colby, have you guys ever done a call with Colby to learn how to work well with each other? And they talk about each of your profiles and how to work best together? No, we it's, should though. I, I always call it like a Colby A match. They have another term for it. But if you send them an email, they'll know exactly what it is. They do like a 30 minute or one hour call for not very much money. And they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll walk you through how to understand Ari's quick start profile. And then he'll un understand how to, to leverage the fact finder profile for everybody who's, who's listening. I'll, I'll link in the show notes to the Colby o a profile, but we have every member of our COO Alliance do the Colby profile. And it's amazing how every second in command that we have in the CO Alliance is either a high fact finder or high follow through, which is all about systems and processes. So they're very similar to yeah. you and virtually every one of the CEOs is a high quick start yeah. Oh, I believe it. Just it's been different. an interesting, uh, it's been an interesting learning experience for me. And I, I mean, I'd put words in his mouth. I'd say for him too, for us to learn to meet in the middle with those things. Yeah. Um, and that, that's what and actually we about. have a, uh, 
uh, so we work with a client I'll have to put a plug in for her named Sally Hogshead. I don't know yeah. if you know Sally. Of course. So she runs a company called How to Fascinate and she has a, a similar test and it's this big, big matrix she gives you that's all color coded. And so she did an event for us um, where she had all the attendees took this test and she mapped everybody on the, on the chart. Uh, and like every single person in the room was up in this upper quadrant of, you know, visionary, innovator, you know, that sort of area. And then there was like one person all the way on the other side on the bottom. And I'm like looking at mine. I'm like, oh, it's, oh, it's me. Like I knew it. I knew there's something wrong with me and I don't fit in here. And everyone is so much smarter than me. And they're so full of ideas. And Sally was going over it and she's like, oh, you know, which one of you has this person on their team? And I was like, oh, that's me. And he, she's like, man, you're, you're really lucky. I'm like, wait, what? She's like, you know, you get all these people that are just ideas people up in a room and it's great. They can come up with ideas all day long, but if you don't turn ideas into action, you know, they're just ideas. Mm -hmm. And that really was game changing for me. I think in my role to, you know, recognize like I am different from Ari. I'm different from our clients, but there's a lot of value in that. Well, you're supposed you know, somebody, to be, and, and you're right, supposed right. To be different, right? It's like it's like the artist is different from the musician, is different from the engineer, is different from the mathematician, is different from the doctor. Like we're supposed to be. Yeah, and, and, and we're I not. Think, we're not supposed to do each other's jobs. Yeah, but, but, but we we have to learn how to get along and how to understand each other and how to really leverage each other. And I think that's what's it, what's powerful about doing these personality profiles is you get to learn about yeah. each other. So. How have, how have you learned to adapt your style or less, less about adapting your style? How have you learned about working with someone like Ari, who's a very entrepreneurial, quick start, shoot from the hip, makes it up as he goes, you know, fire ready aim. How have you learned, you know, an idea a minute, um, everything can be done quickly. How have you learned to work with someone like that? And how has he learned to work with somebody who likes to ask a whole bunch of questions before they start something, which can tend to drive the entrepreneur crazy, but, but really needs to be done so you don't come back to us seven times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, we created a worksheet uh, that uh, we teach our coaching program. We created a whole lesson in our coaching program about this, um, where it's a framework for having that conversation of, you know, here's my idea. And then we talk about, okay, you know, this is your idea. Here's your intended outcome. And then we discuss, you know, so that that's his part. And then my part becomes, when are we going to implement this idea? Um, and you know, okay, not now because we're doing all these things or, you know, this quarter, because lead gen is our focus on that quarter. Yep. Uh, and I, then, you know, turning the discussion into who should be responsible for that. Um, yeah, that's the key is to actually discuss the project, understand the project and then decide if you're red lighting, green lighting or yellow light, like green light is yes, we'll do it. We'll put it in the plan. Now it might bump something, but we'll talk about that. Yellow is, yeah, we're going to do it, but not yet. And red is, yeah, we're not doing it. Like, Thanks for listening. Yeah. Glad, glad we talked through it. But is that does that system work internally well for for doing as well or for less doing? It does absolutely. Um, and I will give Ari a lot of credit that he has come a long way in. Um, he said this. I'm not sure if he's the originator of this, but entrepreneurs have two time frames: now or not ever. Uh, which is the complete opposite, you know, for people like me. Like, you know, I'm not just oh, here's your idea, let's jump into it. Right. Um, and so we've both really come a long way to meet in the middle of, you know, this is an idea. This is a great idea. This is going to serve the business. I'm not going to drop everything I'm working on and totally change the direction of the, the team, you know, 
to do it right now. Um, can, you, can you give us some examples of some of the technology, um, I guess, automations that you've put in place in your business that's allowed you to optimize and automate processes versus work harder and more? Uh, like in terms of the tools that we use or some of the automated systems? Some of the, some of the actual automated systems. Like we, you know, we, when this comes in, it triggers these two things and it does that. Just give us a couple examples so people understand because I think there's a lot of people out there that don't even know what it is necessarily you're talking about that, that you guys do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the great ones for us, um, we have a lot around content creation um, where, you know, Ari will do a Facebook Live He'll do a video of some kind. That's his favorite. And we have a tool. We use a tool called repurpose.io that will take that Facebook live and it will put it into our Facebook group. It'll put it onto YouTube. It'll share it to our Facebook page. Um, it also saves that file to a Dropbox folder, which triggers a uh, message to our virtual assistant who sends it to a content writing company that we use. And they create an email out of it. Uh, when they are finished with it, an automated email always comes into our email that says this article is done. We have an automation with Zapier that triggers off of that particular email that sends another email to our virtual assistant to tell her to go into Contentfly, the content writing company we use, pull out the article, queue it up in our email marketing client, you know, it's a Monday newsletter, and then sets that to send. Um, Normally, that would be a whole bunch of people doing work, passing it to the next person, waiting for that person to get it started, the person forgetting about it, needing to follow up, that person having a delay, and, and all you've removed all of those steps in the process and automated those. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And it takes, you know, Ari's best ideas, and it turns it into a bunch of different content, sends it everywhere, um, you know, with minimal, uh, minimal button pushing, minimal hands that need to be on it. Do you still do you still work with this kind of mantra of stop, optimize, automate, outsource, or is that yeah, optimize, automate, outsource? Mm-hmm. Optimize. So our... I, I'm the guy. I guess who I put the word stop in front. I'm like, wait, do we even need to do it before we optimize it? <laughs> yeah, can we just right. kill it? Like, can we just stop doing it at all? Right, how, right. How have you grown as a leader over the years? You know, you've been with the organization for two and a half years now. How have you had to grow? Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing for me is learning to work with different types of people. Um, I think I I hadn't realized with the military, there really is a level of, there's a a lot of similarities between the people that you work with. Mm. Um, And even as like a brand new second lieutenant, you know, you've gone through like four years of training that prepare you to, to commission and to kind of be in that role. Um, But the same things with your brand new privates, like when a brand new private shows up, in your unit, he's not brand new. She's not brand new. She's gone through basic training. She's gone through, you know, some advanced individual training and people that have a drastically different set of beliefs or mindset, they wash out. They don't do it in the first place. Yeah. Um, And business isn't quite like that. Um, at all. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of that. You're right though. At every level of the military, everybody is pretty much very similar culturally, very similar aligned with core values and they've all gone through the similar amounts of training. So you've got a base level of expectation that you can count on. Yeah. We're in business. We don't have that at all. We don't know. We don't know what the real experience is. Yeah. That has been a tricky one for me. And I'm sure if um, one of the members of my team listens to this, she'll laugh because she always gives me a hard time for being bad at feelings. 
Like I don't want to talk about feelings. Uh, it's just not, it's business. This is work. Why are we talking about our feelings? Um, but it matters. Like that impacts the way people show up. It impacts mm-hmm. their work, the way that they feel about things. Um, and that compliments. Has to be, that has to be so different from the military where you just don't, you don't praise people to success. Or this, maybe this is a huge bias. So in the movies, what we see as kind of the, what the hell are non-military people called? Civilians. Civilians. Right. So yeah. like, as a civilian watching, you know, taps, um, I, I get the feeling like you're not allowed to show your feelings in the military and there's not a lot of praise. You don't praise people to success. It's very command and control. Is that true or, or is there praise? Is there kind of the attaboy and the high fives and the cheering people on or does that not really exist or have a place? Um, you know, my experience was there wasn't a lot of that. Um, there was, and there, there was very valuable that, that I've yet, Actually, I'm sure a lot of businesses do this. We've yet to get into a good routine of it, but there was a a regular schedule of performance evaluations, and there's a form, and this is what we talk about. And so there was, you know, there was regular feedback. Right, but like um, when you're raising when you're raising your kids, we don't wait till the end of the quarter to tell our kids how they're doing. We, right, right. We cheer, we cheer them on all the time, right, and we we tell them what they're screwing up all the time. Like, is that different in the military to business? Yeah, I did not see a lot of that. Um, in fact, actually, it's it's funny. My husband and I were just talking about the military has a, a fantastically hilarious array of insults that you could hurl upon people. Mm. Um, some of which are, you know, not G-rated for podcast. Um, and you could never. But we were both sort of struck. Yeah, like oh my gosh, if you said that to somebody at work, you know, uh, <laughs> they would be aghast. And so actually there's a, a veterans rock climbing group around here. And, and my husband and I went to one of their meetups and um, I've never met these guys before in my life. And there we are. And one of the guys is climbing and I, you know, said something insulting to him, uh, which was really funny. And all of us got the joke and, you know, we were just like, man, that's, that's acceptable here. Sure. If you went to a group of strangers anywhere else and said, you know, hey, nice job window liquor. Be like, <laughs> what did you say to me? Right. Um, so uh, I am I, terrible at compliments and there's you know, people on our team. Sometimes they need that. They need to know they're doing a good job. Uh, and I've almost had to automate that some where I send myself a reminder like, Hey, tell someone on the team, they're doing a good job today. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. I bye, just, bye. I flashed back to a rock climbing. Uh, I used to climb years and years ago and this was, oh, okay. this was 20 years ago. No, 30 years ago. Oh my God. This was 1991. Um, and I had, I had just gone back out to this area where we climbed and we were setting up all of our routes and, and this guy walked by and he's like, I know you. I'm like, yeah, dude, never met you before. He goes, no, <laughs> you last week on Sunday, you peeled off the rock and screamed like a 12 year old girl. I'm like, oh my God, that was totally me, but I'm not, I don't want to be known. Right. As that. <laughs> uh, no, that's not me. That's I don't need about. that. I'm like, thanks right, for recognizing right. me. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had your kids out climbing yet? Um, so actually we got into it cause my six year old, we had got him into doing it. Uh, and this veterans group happened to meet the same time as his class. Awesome. So he loves it. It's That's been fun. really good for him. Yeah. Yeah. My, um, my 16 year old is starting to do bouldering and he's in indoors. I want to get him outdoors this summer. Oh, neat. Like I want to really show him bouldering, like get outside. Yeah. And yeah. And do this stuff. So that's amazing. All it's right. Scary. I do not like, since getting out of the military, I do not like heights. Like I found that when I was in the military, I jumped out of planes, I repelled out of helicopters because that's what we were doing. And so you're going to go, right? You're going to jump because you have to jump. Okay, we're going to jump. Uh, 
but now as an older adult, it's like, oh man, we're like, we're really high up on this wall, aren't we? Yeah. It's a bizarre feeling for sure. Yeah. All right. If you were going to go back to your, let's, you know, guess 22 year old self, you're graduating West Point. What words of advice would you give yourself that, you know, now you know to be true, but you wish you'd known back then? Oh gosh. Um, I think I, I wish that I had known more about family life. Um, I, you know, I got married at 22. Um, we had our first kid by 25 and West Point as it should. All you ever talked about was the army, the army, the army, the army. Army's going to be a career. You're going to be a future leader, you know, America's army forever and ever. Um, and even the, the few female officers that we had, I feel like nobody ever pulled us aside and was really honest about kids and the amount of time that they'll take and a husband and the amount of time he'll take because he can never find his shoes. He's so capable. Where are his shoes? Um, they're in the shoe closet, by the way. It's where they are. Yeah, they're exactly um, where they were. I put them back where most of my right. mind was, your shoes are exactly where you left them when I put them back for you. Right, right. Or, I don't know. I didn't oh, wear them. Yeah. Um, but I think I just, I would have thought through the future a little bit more, mm. knowing that those things would have taken time. Um, the decision to get out of the army was a tough one for me. And I was almost like, I was very surprised when it wasn't working out well for us to have two small kids. We did back-to-back company commands. Um, and then the same thing, like I said earlier, I got out of the army because I thought those were the only choices your choice is work or your choice is family and that's it. Um, and, you know, working with Ari, I've really had to relearn that that isn't tr- I wish I knew that, you know, 20 years ago, yeah. that those things could balance. There were options. Family is going to take a lot of time, but you can find or create opportunities that, that work with that. You know, it's not all or nothing. It's not black and white. That's well, cool. It's cool that you're in a, you're in an organization now and with a leader who um who gets that as well. So, Courtney yeah, Wade, yeah, Courtney absolutely. Wade, the COO for Less Doing. Thanks very much for joining us today on the Second Command podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to us on Himalaya for access to our premium content. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.